Yes. I just want to thank you guys so much for your patience. Obviously, we are in the middle of some pretty major construction um, in our church, and we've got stuff going on, which is exciting. It's great. It's positive. Um, but we, obviously, there's going to be some things that don't look exactly finished, and uh, there's going to be some random walls that may pop up during the week from week to week. And um, funny story, so we, we, we blocked this off so people couldn't get back into the construction. They built some temp walls. And this morning, I kind of prepare over in the youth room and just kind of get mentally, I spend some time in prayer and, you know, getting ready. And, and I got out and was going to do my normal thing. And then I, I realized once I got outside that I couldn't actually get to the stage. Um, so I had to, I, I was locked outside for a few minutes and I had to get a guy to come in and let me out. And then I kind of got lost in the abyss that is over there and had to eventually make my way over here. So it is, uh, it's not just, uh, you know, problems for you guys, it's problems for us too, but just want to thank you so much for your patience. Uh, the, the construction team that's running the job is doing a phenomenal job. Um, and if you, if you're not aware, the strategy is, is to build it outside first. And as we finish outside, then we'll knock walls down inside so that we don't mess up service on Sunday mornings in here. Um, so it's just, I know that it's a lot, and I know that uh, people have been holding it uh, because we haven't had any bathrooms, and um, we understand this is a, is a huge, huge sacrifice for you guys, and so we just want to thank you for your continual patience um, and your support and your financial giving um, and just the faithfulness of our people. It is just an awesome thing. Um, you guys make being a pastor and, and make our leadership enjoy our jobs, so thank you so much uh, just for the way you guys do. But if you, if you have your Bibles, um, you can turn to uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 3. We're going to be looking at chapter 3 for a little bit. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, you can uh, get on your phone real fast and download our app, uh, just Harvest uh, Cove Community Church. If you search it in the app store, you can download it in two seconds, and then we have a Bible on there. Um, and we're just going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 3 and then Ephesians chapter 5 to just kind of launch our new series uh, called Unlimited. And while you're doing that, I'm just going to say a quick prayer, and then we'll get started. Father God, I just want to thank you so much. Uh, Lord, I just want to thank you just for the way that you move in this church, God, just for the, uh, just for the atmosphere, God, of worship, Lord, just uh, hearing just our people just worship you and just seeing that we want more of you, Father. God, I pray, Lord, that, that that very simple song, Lord, let that be the cry of our church, God, that we just want more and more of you, God. And uh, I thank you, Father, just for the way that you move uh, in this church and in our people, Father. I pray, Lord, for this series, God, that you would just use this series in a mighty way, uh, God, in our, in our lives and in, in the people's lives, Father. I pray, Lord, that you you would just let your spirit just teach us your word uh, this morning, God, and uh, just be with us in your holy and your uh, magnificent name. Amen. So there, there, there was a, something that I struggled with um, for a while early on, um, and not just early on, but uh, periodically throughout my walk with Christ. And, and it was that as you begin to read the Bible, as you begin to learn more and more about God, it becomes very, very, very clear um, that our God is just an amazing, uh, unlimited, endless, boundless, incalculable, uh, just amazing God. And that, that, that if you just ever stop to think about who God really is, that you really can't fathom his greatness or his power, who he really is, and that, that this God has called us to live a life. And, and, and this immeasurable, unlimited, amazing God has called us to live this life. And as you begin to live this life, and, and maybe I'm the only one, but I, as I started to really learn about God and I started to really learn about this life that he's caused us or called us to live and this, this, these people that he's called us to be, I started finding some major tension between who God called me to be um, and who I really was day to day. Does that make sense? 
Um, and as I started to look, especially as the older I got and the, the closer to the Lord um, I got and the, and the more I studied scripture and the more that I walked and I started reading about what it was to be a husband or what it was to be a father, what it was to be a real friend, what it was to be truly selfless, what it was to be truly generous, what it was to just be truly loving, what it was to be truly gracious. What it, and you just start reading about all these things that God is and that God calls us to be. And all of a sudden, at least for me, and maybe not for you guys, but at least for me, that there was this major tension between these two things, between who I was and who God had called me to be. And, and as I started walking in this, at, at times, this was almost a depressing idea. Because as I started to study and I started to look and, and, and I had all these, these preachers and I had all these people and I started looking into lives of older people and they just seemed uh, so perfect and they just seemed like they had a handle on things. And, and I just was like, you know, how am I ever going to get there? What, what, what has to change in my life to get there? What, what does it look like for me to be able to move from, from who I am to, to who God has, has called me to be? And, and, and that's just that's a tension that we all, I think we all deal with if we're honest with ourselves. I think we all deal with that, that tension between uh, just this greatness of God and this life that he's called us to live and then who we really are day to day or who we think we are uh, day to day. And, and, and this is not something that is new. This is not something that I just started dealing with. This isn't something that just you guys dealt with or just your parents or just your kids. This is something that everybody's dealt with, even, even with Paul, because as Paul starts to, as he's writing a letter to the Ephesians, and you have to really understand um, what this is. I mean, this is a letter that Paul is writing uh, to the, 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 the church of Ephesus, to the Ephesians. And as he's writing this church, He's, he's contemplating things. He, he's literally, and if you go through and you read the beginnings of chapter 3, he's talking about the greatness of Christ and all that Christ has done. And then he's talking about some of the trials and, and, and seasons of difficulty that he's having. And, and that there's this tension between us. And he makes this comment to the people. He says, listen, you guys don't need to worry about this season. You don't need to worry about what I'm going through. You don't need to worry about that. He says, because, you know, God's got this in control. But you can see just in the language that Paul uses that Paul is concerned that the people will see this as tension in his life or see this, this deal as in if, this, if, if Christ is so good and Christ is so powerful and Christ has done all this, and, and then why are you going through this season of difficulty? Why are you writing this letter from prison? Why are you under arrest? Why are you going through this trial? Why are we struggling? Why do we have weaknesses? And we just kind of go through this. And so he, he starts to write this in the middle. It's almost like as he's writing the letter, his mind just begins to go this way. And, and he makes this, this point, and this is in Ephesians chapter chapter 3, uh, verse 14 to 20, and I'm, I'm reading this out of the NLT um, just because I just, I love some of the words that it uses. And this is what he says. He goes, when I think about all of this, when I think about all this, when I think about this tension, when I think about the greatness of Christ and the daily lives that we live, he goes, when I think about all of this, he goes, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. So Paul says, as I begin to think about this tension, I begin to think about the greatness of Christ and what he has done and then the life that we live, right? The life that we live. And he, he begins, his heart goes to the people. His heart goes to the people because here's the thing. Paul has a desire for the church of Ephesus. He has a desire for the people of Ephesus. It's the same desire that I believe that Christ has for every believer, the same desire that I have for you guys, the same desire I have for my own life, that we will know that we can live the life that God has called us to live, 
that we can truly, actually, not in theory, not in a house of cards, not create an image of, but in reality, actually walk in the power of God and live the life that God called us to live. And this is the desire, and this is the direction that Paul's coming from. So he writes this letter. When I think of all of this, I fall on my knees. I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long, how high and how deep his love really is. Then Christ will make his home. Boom. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, all glory to God who was able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we can ask or think. So I want to, this is a huge chunk of scripture that I just want to teach us just really fast because this is what he says to all believers and he makes this statement. He teaches us something and I just want to look at this. The first thing he says is up front. He says, when I think of all this, I fall on my knees and I pray to the Father, creator of everything in heaven and earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you. So this is the thing I want you to understand about our God. Our God is completely unlimited. There is no limit on God. He has unlimited resources. And I know that our natural minds want to go to unlimited resources. We want to think wealth and we want to think money and we want to think gold. But God is not only uh, unlimited in that mind since he is unlimited in power. He is unlimited in grace. He is unlimited in mercy. He is unlimited in graciousness. He is unlimited in love. He is unlimited in you name the word. He is unlimited in it. He is God and he is unlimited. And Paul says that out of this unlimited resources, out of this unlimited grace, out of this unlimited love, he says, I pray that he will empower you. So out of this unlimited, God will empower. And what I'm telling you right now is what Paul's saying. He's laying the foundation. He said, this is what is true in your life if you're a believer. This is what has happened or is happening to you right now as a believer. And this is what he says. He says, God is unlimited. The same thing he says is that God is unlimited and he is going to empower you. God is unlimited, and he is going to empower you. The Bible literally says he's going to empower you with inner strength through his spirit. So God is unlimited, and then God empowers us in our, in our, in our hearts, in our minds, and our souls. He gives us inner strength through the Holy Spirit. And that's important that you remember that because we're going to come back to that because Paul finishes with that, that it is through his spirit. So God is unlimited. Then he empowers us through his what? His spirit. Okay, so God is unlimited. God empowers us through his spirit so that we can experience the love of Christ. Does that make sense? So the first work that God ever does in your life is prepare your heart to experience the love of Jesus Christ. So that means that if you are a faith, if you have put your faith in Christ, you have found Christ, you are a Christian, you are a follower of Christ, you are a believer, that is because God has already empowered you in your heart and in your mind, laid way in your heart with the Spirit of God so that you could experience the love of Christ. And when you experience the love of Christ, this is true for all believers, when you experience the love of Christ, the Bible says that you are made complete. And when you are made complete, it says you are made complete with all the fullness of life and of power that comes from God. Now, I want you to think about that just for a second. Just for a second. I want you to, un 
I know that I know that that we don't ask you guys to think a lot, but I just want you I just want you to think just for a second what that really means as a, as, as a Christian, as a believer. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, if you're just kind of here because you got tricked here, this is still, you'll learn, you'll learn about all the nonsense that you don't believe in. So just listen to me. Just think about this. So what is, if this is true, just for a second, what is true about your life? Based on these verses, based on what Paul just taught us. Don't answer out loud. But just think about what is true about your life. What is true about your life? What is true about your life is that from God's unlimited resources, he's empowered you through the spirit to experience the love of Christ. If you've experienced the love of Christ, you have been made complete. When something is complete, it is what? It's done. It's finished. It means that there's nothing else to be done in you, that you have access to it, that you are complete, that you are done. You're not a little bit saved. You're all the way saved, right? There's not, there's, not levels of, there's not levels of being safe. He's done the work in you, and you are made complete with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. That was a great message. If you guys will bow your heads. We'll go. No, because, here, because here's the thing. Here's the thing. Paul hasn't erased the tension. He's going to erase the tension. He's trying to erase the tension. But as some of you guys read this right here, okay, so God is unlimited. Okay, I buy that. I believe that. He's empowered us through his spirit so that we can experience the love of Christ. Okay, I got that. Which makes me complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. So if what uh, you're saying is true, uh, Pastor Jordan, is that, that I am made complete and that within my realm of possession, I possess the fullness of life and the fullness of power that comes from God. And the question you're asking yourself is, uh, I almost punched my wife on the way to church this morning, so maybe not so for me, right? Well, if I've got the fullness of life and I've got the fullness of the power of God, then why do I continually live the way that I live day to day? Why do I continue to struggle with these things? So Paul doesn't really erase the tension yet, but he just lays the foundation and he creates the tension because he says, this is something that is true in every single person's life. This is something that isn't true in your life, right? If you are a believer, if your faith is in Christ, your trust is in God, right now, this is true for every single person in this room that is a Christian, you possess within yourself because you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so and you've experienced the love of Christ, you have the fullness of life and the power that comes from God in your life. That means that he has given you access to his unlimited grace, his unlimited love, his unlimitedness. He's given you access to the presence of a holy, magnificent God. And you possess the fullness of life. So the question is, why don't I feel like that day to day? Why don't I feel like that day to day? Why do the things that I've always struggled with continue to rise up in me? Why do, why, why, why do I, I not, I, I've never struggled with something in my life and then all of a sudden it just pops up after, after 10 years and then it, and it's still there. Why, why can't I just get a handle on selfishness? Why can't I just get a handle on dishonesty? Why can't I just get a handle on anger? Why can't I just get a handle on some of these addictions in my life? Why can't I just get a handle on jealousy and envy and God? Well, you know, I know that the Bible says like outright, you know, gossip puts it right next to witchcraft, but you know, gossip just seems to be a part of my life. And, and even though I, 
justify it publicly. I still know in my heart and my life that it's just a part of who I am, and I know that it's wrong, and I just can't. And if it says I'm supposed to be this type of husband, and I'm supposed to be this type of wife, and I'm supposed to raise my kids like this and think like this and live wisely and do this and do that, and I see all the greatness of this, and you're telling me that I have the fullness of life and the power of God, then, then why can't I seem to actually live that out day to day in my life? Have you ever, just, just for a show, I just want to know, have you ever thought along those lines at all? Right? He ever just woke up one day and you, and you hear some preacher, right, just talking about and almost demanding perfection, almost in a religious sense, and you leave with a sense of guilt because he forgot to tell you how to do that. Do, do you know, I have people I can't stand, and just so you know this, for your future reference, I can't stand somebody that brings me a list of problems and no solution. Here's all the things that's wrong. All right, have a good day. All right? Just so you know, by definition, in that moment, you were pointless. All right? You said, let me show you all the things that are abundantly obvious just so that you know that I know that they're wrong and you have a good day. All right? But I feel like so much of the time, that's how we kind of operate. Because why? Because it's so much easier. To, because I can tell you, I can, I can have 10 minutes of conversation. I can tell you about most of your sin, right? We're all good at that. Raise your hand if you were the best at pointing out everybody else's negatives. All of you are liars, all right? Because we, we, we just have that ability. It's just something, it's all this is God-given. We, we, we have a difficult time seeing our own, Right? But we have a, we're just good at seeing everybody else's negatives. We know when everybody else is messed up. And then sometimes, we don't tell people, but sometimes we kind of celebrate in that. All right? So there's this tension between who God says we want to be. And here's what, here's what I want to tell you is I, I wrestle with this for so long. Because at some point, and this is where I want you to hear me just for a second. At some point, you have a decision to make as a Christian. At some point, you have a decision to make as a Christian because you can't deny the expectation that God puts on us. But at some point, you have to decide to admit your weaknesses, walk in it, whatever that may look like, or walk in the power of God. Or what most of us decide to do is figure out a way to create an image of walking in the power of God rather than actually walking in the power of God. And so what this tends to turn into is what we have modernized and called religion. So we've gotten these things, and this is what this looks like. This is what living or walking in the power of God looks like. So here are the things that I'm going to start doing to portray the image that I'm living in the power of God, although I know deep inside my heart I'm not walking and living in victorious in the power of God. Does that make sense? All right, so that's where a lot of us get to in life because we, 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 as we study or as we learn or as we hear sermons, we get to this place to where we have to decide, are we going to actually begin to walk in the power of God or are we going to start figuring out how to look like we're walking in the power of God? And this is what Paul begins to unveil for us, chapters 3, 4, and 5. And he starts going on, he kind of leaves this 
and he starts going on to this, 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 all these instructions of how to live. And he gets to this part where he starts talking about taking off the old self and putting on the new self. And he starts talking about marriage and talking about mutual submission and talking about how we're supposed to love and how we're supposed to act and the things that are not supposed to be in our lives and, and all the things that we know. We don't, we, we, I think that we've had, we've had these things preached to us so many times. We, we know this. We, we know in our heart, most of us, we're not fools. We know when we sin, we know that it's sin. All right, so he goes through all these instructions of, of the things that we should do, the things that we shouldn't do, the way we should think, the ways that we shouldn't think, how we should live, and the ways that we shouldn't live, and old self, new self. And he, and he drives down to this point, but he never really leaves this idea of, of, of living this, this uh, first initial power of God, fullness of life deal. And he, he comes down to the, end of, of, the middle of chapter 5. And he gets down, I think it's verse 15, and he says this, and he's about to kind of sum his thoughts up, like he just takes this moment, and he just kind of sums his thoughts up, and he says this right here. In Ephesians 5, uh, verse 15 and 16, he says this, so because of all of this that we're talking about, because of all of this and then some, but because of all this we're talking about, he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. He says, okay, so he teaches us first off, whether we buy it yet or not, whether we agree with it yet or not, this is what he teaches us first off. He says this, if you were saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, if you are, your faith is in Christ, you are a Christian. He said, the power of God out of his unlimited resources, through his spirit, he's empowered you to experience the love of Christ, and you possess within yourself the fullness of life and power. So you don't, may not buy that yet, but that's what he says is true about you. And then he says, so that gives you the ability to do all these things, and he names all these things, and he says all these things, you need to do this and do that, and he gives all these instructions. And then he kind of comes down to this, and he says, because of this, because you have the ability, because the, the, the light of Christ, and that's what he talks about right before, in, in, in chapter five, right before this, because you have the light of Christ in you, and that light of Christ can expose the darkness, and you now have the, the ability and the power uh, to, to move in and live right and live with power and do the things and be the person that God's called you to be. He said, because you have that in you, because of the work of the Spirit and the victory of Jesus Christ, because you have that in you, he says, be very careful then how you live. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And the reason that I like Paul is because Paul will very rarely leave you. And, all right, so I don't like people that bring problems with no answer. And here's another person I don't like. Ask questions that they don't know the answer to. Right? In an effort, like, if you can ask a question because you think that I know and you want to learn, that's one thing. But people who like, and I think, and maybe it's just because I'm not smart enough, and this is just maybe a little bit of jealousy in me. But these great theological people who ask these like life abounding questions and then they end the sermon with, I guess we'll find out when we get to heaven. Wasted 45 minutes of my life. Posed a bunch of worthless questions and then said, Jesus will tell us later. What that said was, I didn't have time to study this week, so I just asked a whole bunch of questions and um, everybody enjoy their lunch. All right? But that's not what Paul does. Paul says, Listen, I want to tell you. Because of all this is true, because you have the fullness of life and the power of God in you. Be very careful then how you live and live wisely. And the way that you live wisely, and I want you to hear me, because again, the way that you live wisely is making the most of every opportunity in your life. Just think about that just for a second. The way that you live wisely 
is to make the most of every opportunity in your life. See, the difference a lot of times between wise people and unwise people is wise people simply see things in a different light. They see things as opportunities. And let me give you an example. So an unwise person will use something that we all deal with from time to time, jealousy. All right, so jealousy, there's something that you want. Maybe you don't struggle with jealousy. Maybe that's just not something that you struggle with or envy. You don't, you don't really struggle with that. But all of a sudden, there's something in your life that you want. There's something in this life that, that you want, whether it's a thing or it's uh, credit or it's glory or it's, it's, it's appreciation or it's love or it's a car or it's a house or whatever. There's something in this life that you want. And then all of a sudden, someone near you or close to you, they get it. They possess it. They, they get it. And then all of a sudden, jealousy or envy rises up in you in this moment because you're like, I wanted that. They have it. And then, you know, a lot of times what comes along with jealousy and envy is you start going through the reasons why they don't deserve it. Right? Just me? No, just you. Right? Because you're like, I'm, you know, they, they don't deserve that because this, this, and that. I saw what she did last weekend and blah, 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 blah. And, but there's this envy and this, this jealousy in you. Here's a difference between a wise person and a foolish person. All right? It's not that wise people don't deal with jealousy, it's that wise people look at the situation and say, here is an opportunity to deal with jealousy in my life. Does that make sense? See, a foolish person, they just go through the motions with jealousy and whatever effect jealousy has on their life, then they deal with it. But a wise person says, and this is what he's saying, he goes, you have the power. You have the fullness of life and the power of God. You have the power to deal with this. So a wise person will see that you have the opportunity and you have the power, so deal with it. A foolish person will just go on, so he says, be very careful. And it's not just with, with, with things like jealousy or insecurity or fear. It's not just with those things. There are opportunities to see, like, when you're pumping gas at a gas station, right? I hear people say this all the time. You know, I just, I want to be used by God, but it just seems like, you know, I really don't know. I'm waiting to hear on God. I'm just waiting to hear. I'm waiting to, to hear for him to come down in human flesh form and, and speak to me. Every time you pump gas at a gas station, there's somebody next to you. That's a prime opportunity to be the light of Jesus Christ. Every time you drive by a homeless person on the side of the road or somebody that's in need, that is an opportunity for you right there in that moment to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. We have opportunities all day long in this church to serve everywhere from in our backyard to homeless people that come from Charlotte uh, to people that are in need in our community uh, to churches and, and growing gospel things in Mexico uh, to all kinds of opportunities that are opening up. I mean, there are opportunities left and right. So the foolish people will sit and say, well, I'm just waiting. And the wise person says, this is an opportunity to grow in God. This is an opportunity to grow in God. This is an opportunity right here. So he says it, Paul, that's why I love Paul. He says, be very careful then how you live. Be wise, don't be unwise. And the way that you can be wise is to make the most of every opportunity that comes up in your life. And so that means that you're riding down the road as soon as you leave here and you and your wife are about to get divorced because you want Mexican and she wants Joey's. <laughs> and that doesn't happen every other week in my life. <laughs> or does it? But it's an opportunity. In that moment, a wise person says, I have the power. 
right? I have the fullness of life in me. I can, th- there's an opportunity in here for me to grow uh, closer, to, to be selfless rather than selfish. And, and it, there's an opportunity here. In every single conflict, and I want you to think about this because this may change the way that you think about conflict in general. Every single ounce of tension and conflict you have with anybody else in your life is an opportunity for the gospel to grow you in that situation and potentially reveal the gospel to that other person's life. Think about that. Foolish people see it as tension and conflict, something to be avoided, something to be fight. Wise people will see that as an opportunity to grow in the Lord and, and, and maybe even the gospel is brought to light by the way that you forgive or the way that you seek forgiveness. I could talk about that all day long. And you know what? We will for the rest of the series. But right now, he moves on. So he says, listen, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Every opportunity because the days are evil. It just means, listen, the days are evil. It just means that there's an enemy coming and life is short and you don't know whether you got five months or 10 years or 100 years. Uh, Life is what it is. There's a lot of uh, tension. There's a lot of stuff going on and you have to make the most of every opportunity. And so he says, because of all of this, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't be foolish understand what the Lord's will is. He says, because all this is true, let's go back just for clarity's sake. Because the Holy Spirit has empowered you, because you've experienced the life, the love of Christ, and you have been made complete, and you have within yourself the fullness of life and power, and now you know, if you didn't five minutes ago, now you know that wise people that we're called to live wisely and to be careful the way that we live, to live wisely is to make the most of every opportunity in the way that we just be because of all of this, he says, don't be a fool, but understand truly in your heart and your mind what the Lord's will is. You guys ready? Did I build that up? Good enough? <laughs> Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Is this a message about alcohol? No. <laughs> all right has nothing to do. I've heard it preached. But as I want to walk up to the pastor afterwards, I'm like, man, did you read anything before or after that? Because it had nothing to do with everything you just said. You're an idiot. This is not about alcohol. He is using wine and alcohol and the way that we drink it in comparison to the Holy Spirit to teach us something that is very, very powerful. And I'm stopping for a second because I want to say this. Don't get lost because I'm going to spend the next few minutes talking a whole bunch about alcohol. So I don't want all the Baptists to slowly leave the service, all right, just warning you, all right, and all the people that that just getting drunk is the way of life, I'm not supporting you either, okay? So I just want to up front, okay? Is drinking a sin according to the Bible? No, it's not. Okay? It's not. Has there ever been people struggling in marriage and they started to drink a lot and things got better? No. That's never happened either. There was never a college kid going, you know what, I was just sophomore year, things were getting tense, I was really stressed, it was struggling, started drinking a lot and everything got better. All right? That didn't happen either. All right, are we on the same page? Is this a message about alcohol? No. Are we picking sides on the classic modern American debate? 
No. Do I need to pray again so people can leave? <laughs> All right. Let's come back. He says this statement. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So he makes a, con- a comparison here. And you could, you, could, you could go all day long with the comparisons between the two, but there's two that really just lean out to me. So just for a second, let's just talk about some alcohol. So here's the deal. When you, you long day of work, all right, you've been stressed. Let's do house moms, house mom. Okay. You got 17 kids, all right? <laughs> Your husband has been working till six, got off at three, been at the golf course, all right? All right, you've, you've been taking care of five kids. He gets home. Uh, you love your kids, but now you want them away from you. You give them away. You go upstairs. You get you a glass of wine. You sit down. You start to drink. Why? Right? Because it's going to make you feel a little better. Okay? Let's just be honest. That's what, that's what it, it, it just, it kind of just numbs us to reality a little bit. It just, it makes, it just brings a little temporary sense of joy. And that's just, that's what, that's what wine does. Okay? So we go, that's why we, you drink two glasses of wine. A little bit happier. Stress is gone at this point. All right? You're just, you're just, you're happy as a lark. Now the kids, they're screaming, but you don't even hear them anymore. All right? They're just in the back. Third glass of wine goes down. Now you're dancing. No music. You're just flocking around in your room, happy as a lark. Four, five, six, you're drunk. All right, now at this point, I'm not looking for testimonies. Don't send me emails. <laughs> when you cross this line into drunkenness, you tend to start doing things you probably wouldn't have done without it. Does that make sense? All right. You start thinking ways you probably wouldn't have thought. All right. You start all of a sudden people who weren't good looking to you yesterday all of a sudden are great now. All right. I'm just, let's be real. I, Paul uses it. It's okay if I use it. All right? This is the comparison that he's making. He says, his point is, he said, if you get drunk on wine, if, if you're just consuming and consuming and consuming, till you cross into this line of drunkenness, it's going to lead to you doing things and being somebody and thinking in a way that you normally don't think unless you are heavily intoxicated. Does that make sense? All right, if just for the fun of it, if I were to say, hey, guys, Tell me some stories about this. How many do you think that we could get? A lot. So we're, we're all understanding this. Okay. So here's the point of what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, don't be filled. Don't be drunk. Don't be filled with wine, which leads you to do this. Because at the end of the day, right, we go to always from the beginning of time to wine, stress-free, temporary happiness. And here's the thing that I want you to know, because this is where he's kind of getting at. To get drunk, you got to drink. One, two, lightweights, maybe, but three, four, five. Keep consuming until you are completely full. And at that point, you're no longer really in control, are you? Once you cross that line, what's in control? The alcohol. So in comparison, he says we need to be filled with the Spirit because when you are filled with the Spirit, The same way that when you get just drunk from alcohol, when you're filled with the Spirit, you start to think ways you never really thought before. And you start to see things in a way that you never really saw before. And you start to live in a way that you never really lived before. And we can see this at work in every single person's life in Scripture. Right? Peter 
coward in some instances, you know, anger in some instances, running away from denying Christ, all right, to being filled with the Spirit and then preaching to three, four, five thousand people, to changing the world. You know, Paul, the very man that's writing this, he was organizing a systematic arrest, persecution, and murder of Christians, to having a moment experiencing the love of Christ, being empowered by the Spirit to becoming one of the most prolific and greatest uh, writers and, and speakers and preachers and, and church planners in, in human history when it comes to the church, when it comes to Christianity. So the, the, the point that he's making here, he says, in, in light of this, because he says, listen, I, I want you to understand I want you to be careful how you live. I want you to be wise. Don't be unwise. Be wise. Okay? I want you to make the most of every opportunity. And because of that, you need to know that this is true. Don't be filled with alcohol that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit of God, which leads you to live in a way that you just can't live without the Spirit. See, this is where the tension lies. This is where the tension lies. And I want you to understand the comparison because there's a hundred different ways Paul could have said this, but he chose to say it just like this for a very specific reason. To get drunk, you have to drink. To stay drunk, you gotta keep drinking. The Spirit of God, Paul's point is the same way. I'm going to teach you some Greek real fast. You guys ready for this? That word, be filled with the Spirit. All right? Be filled with the Spirit. Right there. It is called, it's called a present imperative. Okay? A present imperative. In case anybody asks, if you, if you didn't learn anything today, you can tell somebody this is what you learned. Okay? For all the kids, when your parents grill you on the way home, they ask you, you just say present imperative. Don't even explain it because they probably couldn't either. Present imperative, that's what this is. What a present imperative is, it is a, in the Greek, it is a verb that is continuous. There is no ending to this verb. So that is what that is written as, be filled with the Spirit. So what it's really saying is, be being filled with the Spirit. That's what it's saying. Be, don't be filled, don't be drunk on wine that leads to debauchery, but be being filled with the Spirit. It means always continuously be being filled with the Spirit of God. So that, that puts us in a, in a predicament. Some of us, it puts us in a predicament theologically. All right, but this is, and I, I want to be clear here. When we are saved, as Paul says early on, before we even experience the love of Christ, what happens? The Spirit empowers us so that we can experience the love of Christ. So we have the Spirit of God the moment that we are saved. The Spirit in the presence of God, we have access to it. This is a command, and I want you to understand this. Go back to the, go back to the Scripture. This is, a, this is a command. He says, don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be being filled with the Spirit. Continually be filled with the Spirit. Always be filled with the Spirit. This is a command. So this puts us in a predicament because God is the one who empowers us with the Spirit, who fills us with the Spirit, yet he commands us to be being filled. What does that mean? What's the logical conclusion? 
that we have within our realm of possession access to this ability to continually be filled by the Spirit of God. And the million-dollar question is how are you continually and always be being filled? And that is next week's message. So be here. Seriously. It's powerful. Taylor, you can come up here and play. But I, I, want, to, I want to close today with this idea of what it is to be being filled. We'll talk about how next week. But I want to talk to you about what happens. So when you begin to consume alcohol, right, the comparison, what eventually happens is, is it numbs you to reality. Your reality doesn't change. How small analogy. Your kids are still psychotic. All right, they may not be right there in the room you're in, but they're still outside, coloring on the walls, destroying things, setting fires. They're still out there being kids, all right? The stress and everything that was, all the, your reality hasn't changed. It's just that it numbs you to it just a little while. It numbs that reality. And, and the more that you consume, the more you get, it just, it numbs, nothing changes. Reality is the same. It just, it just numbs you to it. The Spirit of God it awakens you to reality, right? The, what you see and what you experience and the trials and the persecutions and the struggles, they're all still there. But what the Spirit of God ultimately does in the beginning and as you continually be filled with the Spirit of God, it awakens you to the reality of who Christ really is to you and now who you really are in Christ. Because I, I want you to understand that. It, it awakens us to the reality of who Christ really is, but it also awakens us to the reality of who we really are in Christ. And for me, this was the idea that started to erase the tension between who I was and who God called me to be. And I started to realize, not because of my own power, not because of, of who I am, not because of anything that I've done or, or could do, but I possess because of Christ, because of who Christ is, the power to walk and live in and with the Spirit and overcome these things in my life and begin to be different. And just, just as an intro to this series, just as an intro to this series, I just want to show you what starts to happen in your life when you really grab onto this concept of, of continually be being filled. Because what happens is I think a lot of times is it because we have been so, and I think in many ways, and I, and I don't want to condemn any, you know, any other denomination, but I think in many ways the, the theology that we teach, it limits us and it waters down the power of the Holy Spirit. And on the flip side, some other denominations completely manipulate the power of the Holy Spirit to mean something totally different than what it really is. But I want to stand here before you today and I want to tell you an absolute truth the Holy Spirit is incredibly powerful and it lives inside of us. The presence of God is inside of us and this empowers us to live the way that God's called us to live. It empowers us to be the husband that God said that we could be, to be the wife that God said that we could be, to do the things that God said that we could do. And if you wanted some genuine evidence of that, 
the fact that somebody like me is standing on a stage preaching the word of God to you is an absolute solid fact that God can take the worthlessness of this world and make it worth something. The absolute solid fact. And, and if you started to live and you started to think about your life and all the things that he's really already done for you, you start to kind of say, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So this is, in, in, in 2 Kings, I just want to show you, just want to give you an image of what happens when you start really comprehending this idea that Paul's trying to give us, that we're going to study throughout the rest of the series. But this is in, in 2 Kings, um, prophet Elisha, not Elijah, but Elisha. You remember him? So Elisha's hanging out in the desert doing his thing. And there is an army, um, king of Aram is attacking Israel. And he's got a much larger army, but he doesn't want to sacrifice a lot of his soldiers. And so his plan is, is to sneak up on the king of Israel and his smaller army and just demolish it before any backup can come. Uh, but the king of Israel is continually moving around. And every time that the king of Aram decides, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sneak up on him in this city, well, God tells Elisha. And Elisha runs and tells the king, hey, uh, just so you know, after you finish uh, your dinner tonight, you might want to run because there's a massive army coming to destroy you. Go somewhere else. And so the king would move somewhere else. Uh, the king of Aram with his army would show up and the king wouldn't be there. And this happened two or three or four times to the point that he was finally so frustrated. He said, who in our camp is betraying us? Right, because he's saying we're, I, we're we're setting up this trap to go, but every time we go, they already know because they already leave. So somebody is betraying us, and and their leaders come and they say, "Listen, uh, it's nobody in our camp." There's this prophet Elisha, um, and and he's so close to God that that the moment that you decide what you're going to do, even in your, he literally says in your own bedroom, Elisha already knows, it, and he goes and tells the king, and so he says, "Okay, well then let's go kill Elisha first, and then we'll kill the king." So go find out where Elisha is. So they go find out where Elisha is. He's in this town. So he says, get the army, we're going to go. Now, this is the, the question to me. If God cares so much about the king, he told Elisha, you know, worry about that. Nobody told Elisha the army was coming for him because he was still in the city when the army got there. But the army gets there, surrounds the city, all right, surrounds the city. Chariots, this large army, chariots and, and, and soldiers and warriors and horses and all this stuff. And the servant of Elisha wakes up in the morning, walks outside, sees this massive army surrounding the city, freaks out, runs to Elisha and says, Elisha, uh, we're going to die. It's been fun. Kind of wish I'd pick somebody else to follow. There's a massive army around the city. Uh, impending death is soon. And then Elijah says this right here. And I just want you to, well, I'll tell you the end of the story first. So what happens is, is that eventually the army kind of comes down and then Elijah, Elisha prays for God to blind the army uh, the army becomes blind. They kind of come down. They say, hey, we're looking for Elisha. They're blind, so they can't see. And Elisha says, oh, yeah, he's in this next city. Follow me. So then he leads them into the city where the king of Israel is staying. Uh, they obviously disarm them, um, and they capture this entire army, and this eventually leads to the end of the war. But I just want to look. There's something that happens, though, right in the middle of this while they're still in the first city, right before he prays for God to blind them, that I think is unique. And I feel like the Lord just kind of put this in my heart because I feel like this is what happens when God really begins to show up in your life and the Spirit begins to move in your life. Is, is this, this is what happens. And this is, you don't have to turn there, but 2 Kings uh, verse uh, 6, 15, right in the middle of this. This is when the servant of the man of God, Elisha's little servant, of God rose early in the morning and went out. Behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, and this is Elisha, do not be afraid, for those who are with us 
are more than those who are with them. All right, so I don't want you to think about that. All right, the little whiny brat wakes up. I don't know if he's a whiny brat. I'm preaching, so I don't want. Whiny brat wakes up, Elisha, well, we're all going to die, huge army. And then Elisha says, chill out, man, it's fine. All right, the army that's with us is so much more than that's with them. All right, but he's like, Elisha's lost his mind. Uh, we don't, there's you and me, and that's it. And then Elijah, he says his prayer. He says, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And then the army came down, and he prayed for them to go blind. So here, here's my point in this is that that little scenario affected the situation in no way. In no way. The chariots of fire, God's army that was resting on the mountain, they didn't attack, they had nothing to do with the story. Are you following me? Because they, the army, the, the man army came down and he prayed for them to go blind. They went blind, he carried them into the next city and they were captured. So the chariots of fire and, and this, this, this mystical, this great army of God that, that Elisha can see and that he empowers uh, this, this young kid to see has nothing to do with the story except this. That when the spirit begins to move in this young man's heart, his eyes are opened to the actual reality of the situation. Why was Elisha not worried? Because he knew how great God was. Because he could see the army on the And he knew that this little measly horses and chariots surrounding the city was nothing compared to the army of fire that rested right up on the mountain. So here's my point, is that when you start to really get this, when you start to really live your life in a way where you are chasing the spirit and the presence of God, and you begin to continually go after God. And you, and you really capture this idea of be being filled with it, continually being filled with the Spirit. And this becomes a part of your life. And the Spirit begins to fill you just in the same way that alcohol does. Begins to fill you to the point that you almost lose control. And the Spirit of God begins to work through you and control you in the same way that alcohol does when you get drunk. He said, when you get to this way, the first thing that's going to happen in your heart and in your mind is you are going to become aware of the truth. And the truth is, is that God is an unlimited, all-powerful, all-sufficient, all-knowing, incomparable, uncountable, unfathomable God. And that this is the God that you serve. See, I'm going to tell you something. There's a difference in saying that out loud and then actually knowing it and believing it. Because when you know it and you believe it, you realize that it is that God that has empowered you and you have the fullness of life and the power of God inside of you. And now you can live any way that God asks you to live. You can accomplish anything that God's asked you to accomplish. You can be the husband that God's called you to be. You can be the wife that God's called you to be. You can change the world if that's what God calls you to do. I'm going to make a promise to you. God will never call you to do anything that he will not empower you to do. And what happens when the Spirit of God begins to move in your life is it opens up your eyes to that reality.
Nothing changed for this man. Nothing changed. He still, the army was still there. What changed was is he saw the truth, and the truth was God so much greater than any situation or any problem or any issue or any way of life or any addiction or anything that's going on in your life. He is so much more powerful than that. And what the Spirit does is it opens up your eyes and your heart and your mind to the reality of this, that God is truly unlimited. And we have all the fullness of life and that unlimited power from God in us. And if we can really capture that idea of be being filled, then the sky is the limit for how we can live and what we can accomplish in this life. I just want you to think about that. Next week, we're going to talk about what that looks like and how we do that. And my prayer for you during this series is that if you're sitting here this morning, and maybe, maybe, maybe not, maybe you're never going to come back, but if you're sitting here this morning and there's just an ounce of you is curious, an ounce of you desires to truly live, truly live and walk in not just wisdom, but the power of God and to be who God's called you to be. If there's an ounce of you that desires to know what that looks like, I'm asking you and I'm begging you, be it every single message of this series. And if you happen to miss it, watch it online. And I'm going to close out with this one question. Because like alcohol, eventually you lose control to it. It kind of controls you. A lot of times people ask this question, you know, do I have the Spirit of God in me? That's the wrong question. The right question is this, does the Spirit of God have you? Does the Spirit of God have you? Does the Spirit of God so fill your life that you are no longer in possession of it? but he is, that you are no longer the director, but he is. You are no longer the driver, he is. You are no longer the provider, he is. You are no longer the author of your life, but he is. Because that's the life that Paul's talking about living, being so continually filled with the Spirit that you live your life with the Spirit of God completely in control and in possession of every ounce of who you are. If you guys will stand with me. God, I pray, Lord, right now that you will let your spirit and your presence rest in this room, God. I believe with all of my heart you have called us to live a life of amazing, abundant, unlimited power, God. I believe that you have called us, God, you've commanded us, Father, to carry your mission throughout this world, God. You've commanded us, Father, uh, to be holy and righteous. You, you, you've told us, Father God, for the men to stand up and be men and to lead our families and, and, and to walk in power. You, you've said you have these commands for all men, all women, all children, God. You, you have this amazing standard, and sometimes we're afraid of it, God. Because we feel that we can never live up to it. We feel that we can never actually walk in that way. We can never actually do that. We can never actually conquer the things in our life. But the truth is, God, the reality is, God, that you have already accomplished. You have already conquered. You have already defeated because you are all-powerful, all-knowing, and unlimited, God. And I pray, Lord, during the course of this series that every single heart in this room 
is opened up. Every single mind is opened up. Every single person's eyes are opened to the reality that you have already conquered every single thing we will ever face, that you are truly and completely unlimited. And because you have empowered us with your spirit to experience the the love of Jesus Christ, that we have been made complete and now within ourselves, we possess the fullness of life and power, God. My prayer for our church is that by the end of this series, we know this fully and completely to be true in our lives, God. I pray, Lord, that your spirit will begin to draw us to you, Father, in a new way, that you will empower your church to live the way that you have called us to live. God, not out of religion, not out of some some sense of obligation, God, but because we now know that we have the power to be the world changers that you have called us to be, God. I pray, Lord, as we worship you, Father, just speak to our hearts and speak to our minds, God. I pray, Lord, that you will use this series and crazy, amazing ways in the life of this church. In your holy and your precious name.